Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen here on the 2nd of November. I'm glad to be in studio with Paul Pro this morning. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the morning for Carmen, who's away. And my understanding is that she is even off the grid, Paul Perot. No internet, no uh, availability to, to be, you know, sort of streamed in. No cars, no lights, no motor cars. Not a, No, she's in Georgia. <laughs> she is in Georgia. Well, I appreciate being here this morning. I know, uh, Paul, it's it's a very slow news week. I don't really know what we could possibly no, cover on a day like today. There doesn't seem to be much going on in the world. Well, I saw something about Play-Doh for adults. I did see something about Play-Doh. For adults, Play-Doh has released a new line of clay therapy for adults that I think we could probably all, uh, you know, maybe spend an hour today. I would say if I could build some animal shapes, you know, roll them together in my hands like you do and build the legs of uh, potentially a cow or some other bovine kind of creature. And just wouldn't it be nice to just get out of the just the the mix and the, and the muck of all of what we're dealing with these days? You mean you wouldn't be making a uh, clay model of some certain candidate of and then uh, smash in. okay no. yeah well let's even if i wanted to let's just say that my artistic capacities are uh, are less than stellar you, you could barely point. do a cow yeah indeed i could barely yeah, if i could get a cow out of the play now that would be a, a very big morning well there's obviously a lot going on uh, kidding aside here and and we're in a very significant time in our nation's history it's a very pivotal week on a number of different levels and and there's any number of outcomes that might happen this week i've been thinking a lot about that over the past uh, few days Days or so about the difference between what I would describe as circumstantial stability and kingdom stability. And, and I guess what we mean by that is the idea that if we're looking for the circumstances around us to provide a sense of stability in our lives, a, a sense of wholeness, a sense of peace, uh, a sense of hope, that with the ever-changing nature of circumstances and given the incredible uncertainty of the week ahead where you can see the results of our election tomorrow being anything from a landslide either direction to the potential contesting of the results to riots in the streets. You see shop owners around our country are beginning to board up some of their shops, too. There is a lot of uncertainty. And so to try to find a stability in the circumstances around us is going to be a losing effort uh, and, and illusory at best. But there is a difference uh, between circumstantial stability and what we could call kingdom stability, where there is a kingdom that persists and remains in the midst of whatever circumstances in which we find ourselves. And as believers, that is the kingdom that is our primary allegiance. It is the place of our hope. It is the place of our future as well. And so I just wanted to start this morning in the midst of what is going to be obviously a very difficult week on a number of levels ahead, reminding us of our actual identity as citizens of heaven. And the invitation that Peter gives us in First Peter 2, verse 9, where he says this, You are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness 
and into his wonderful light. And regardless of the results this week, regardless of what happens and the circumstances around us, that remains our call, that remains our identity, that remains what is stable and true about us. We are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And as we do the show this morning, we're going to have Dr. Reverend Raleigh Washington in in just a moment to talk about how we can live as people of the kingdom in the midst of all of this. Let those thoughts guide you that the stability that we have as believers does not come from the circumstances around us. It comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and being part of his kingdom that knows no end. Raleigh Washington up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for the morning as Carmen is away and delighted to be joined with our first guest this morning, Dr. Reverend Raleigh Washington, who has been a pastor in inner city Chicago for a number of years, building a holistic ministry uh, right in the middle of some very difficult kinds of circumstances, has served as the promise, uh, the, the president of Promise Keepers and has run a number of ministries over the years and excited for his wisdom to get us started here this morning. Good morning, Raleigh. Good morning, Peter. Good to be with you, my brother. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Before we launch into some stuff, I just want to know, are you are you playing with your Play-Doh this morning? Are you trying to build some figurines of some kind? I know that that's probably what you'd be apt to do on a morning like this. Well, you know, I've got a three-year-old grandson who comes over here, and he does play Play-Doh, and he does ask Grandpa to get down with him and make some. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. <laughs> so right. I, I, I am familiar with Play-Doh. <laughs> oh, love it. Well, you know, we were talking a little bit about uh, this idea of circumstantial stability versus kingdom stability. And Raleigh, uh, in the years of ministry that you've done, and, and you've been about everywhere and seen about everything from your time in the military, which was both really good and really hard in a lot of ways, to times in the inner city and and being with uh, convicted drug criminals and runners to people who have, have walked out of circumstances into really um, beautiful situations. You've been at the heights of power as well in, in ministry. Ministry too. So you've seen it sort of all. I would love for you to, to comment on this idea of circumstantial stability versus kingdom stability. You know, when we think of kingdom stability, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to be uh, kingdom men and women. And uh, uh, to understand that dynamic, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that prayer all the time. So we as believers are supposed to be acting on earth as it is in heaven uh, because we represent the kingdom of, of God. And how do you do that? An example of how I think you do that uh, is really reflected in Numbers chapter 14 um, where Caleb is being identified. Uh, It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which uh, he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. Uh, Why did uh, Caleb have a different spirit? And he's recognized for that in the word of God, because he followed the Lord fully. As we are kingdom dwellers, We're supposed to be obedient to the Word of God. We're supposed to live according to the Word of God. We're walking according to the Word of God. And unfortunately, we, as the body of Christ, have failed in a a calling to influence uh, 
those who are not in the kingdom based on our kingdom behavior. Instead, the outside world, the secular world, has been influencing believers, especially young millennials, to, to follow their lead and act in a way that is abhorrent in the kingdom of God. We need to follow the Lord fully with our behavior as kingdom dwellers, and we can influence uh, individuals to do the right thing. And that's just not what's happening, Peter. Mm, yeah, in Raleigh, we really don't know what's going to happen this week. You can really make a case for an outcome, whether it be a landslide for Joe Biden. You can make a case for an outcome, whether it be a landslide for President Trump. You can make a case for an outcome, any number of them, including maybe something happens in Pennsylvania, where that is the state that's going to determine the, the, the election results, and yet votes and ballots are coming in well after the election day, and then there's you know, the lawyers come in, and it's contested, and it gets pretty ugly around our country. And so in the midst of all of that, Raleigh, and you talk about the idea that as as believers were called to model, to, to show a different kind of way of life, what, what, regardless of the outcome and regardless of whether your candidate uh, loses or wins in this upcoming week, we are part of a bigger call. So how can we model that kingdom way of life in the midst of whatever happens in the week ahead? Well, I, I believe, one, uh, uh, we need to understand as kingdom uh, dwellers, the Word of God, read and meditate in the Word of God and follow the word of God fully. You know, Joshua uh, was commanded, says, uh, hit, hit, in Joshua 1, it says that we will be strong and courageous. And the way we do that is by obeying the word of God, not veering to the right or to the left in everything that we do. So uh, as kingdom dwellers, uh, the Lord says, if somebody slap you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. Uh, so if we have that kind of mentality, uh, we're not going to follow rioters and looters. We're not going to be a part of that, as so many young Christians were. Uh, when things happened with George Floyd, they just got involved in things that's not right. What we're to do is uh, uh, reflect the peace of God, because Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is a part of us. We'll live our life uh, uh, demonstrating peace. And so we should be encouraging people who are, going off to do those things, to not do those things. You know, in Detroit City, when the rioting was going in, uh, because of George Floyd all around in many different cities, it didn't happen in Detroit. It was because the, the commission of police established genuine relationships with the community, the people, and the leaders, and they said, we're going to uh, protest but we're going to protest peaceful. And if anyone who is not a part of this community comes, we're not going to let them participate. They did that, and they had peace. See, that's what we have to do as kingdom dwellers. We have to dwell, love our neighbor as ourselves, and establish committed relationships and influence people where that does not happen. And when the rabble-rousers come, we say, stop, you don't belong here. We're not going to let that happen. If we stand firm that way, as dwellers in the kingdom, it will influence those who are not in the kingdom, and we would not see what you're predicting may possibly happen if we have a contested election result. Hmm. Raleigh, that's such a profound point. One more follow-up just on this before we take a short break, and that is you referenced the idea of peace, and uh, and yet sometimes when I think of peace, I think of avoidance of the situation, but you're talking about standing for truth in the midst of the situation, that to, to advocate for peace does not mean that you sort of hide or run away. It is standing for truth in the midst of something. That is exactly correct. See, Jesus Christ did not go with the tide, he went against the tide. Kingdom dwellers don't go 
uh, with the crowd. We go against the crowd according to the word of God. And we stand out. We become different with a different spirit in doing that. And if we do that, it's in, it will influence others to do the very same thing. And I think at the apex of all of that is developing committed relationships across lines where you don't expect to see relationships like you and I, Peter. Great, great friends love each other. You're white and I'm black. I was black yesterday. I'm black today. I'm going to be black tomorrow. But yet we love one another. And these relationships will make a difference, not only in the kingdom, but we will influence those who are not dwellers in the kingdom. Mm, I love that point, Raleigh. Let's take a short break and we come back. Let's dig into that a little bit more because I know you've written a book called Breaking Down Walls, A Model of Reconciliation in an Age of Racial Strife. But what I find fascinating about that book, Raleigh, is that the principles there of being with people who are very unlike us and yet being reconciled and at peace uh, really does go beyond just the, the racial relationship. It, it, it can extend into any walk in life. So let's talk about that when we come back from a short break. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day. We are back this morning with Reverend Dr. Raleigh Washington talking about how we can be kingdom dwellers, people that are part of the kingdom stability of Jesus's beautiful kingdom that knows no end versus the circumstantial stability of the kingdoms of this world. And Raleigh, before the break, we are talking a little bit, and you referenced the idea of what it means to go across different dividing lines in our relationships and and how that is very representative of God's kingdom people. And in that, I I think about the holidays coming up, and obviously there's probably going to be a very different expression of Thanksgiving and Christmas for a lot of people. It won't be as obvious or as easy to meet across that table, but but using the table as a metaphor of a meeting place among people, uh, I would assume that there's probably going to be a lot of divisions, even in families, uh, Raleigh, around all of this. I was talking to a friend of mine this past week and saying, you know, I could never understand how the Civil War turned brother against brother until we end up in, a, in an age like this where you can at least see the trajectory of family members getting divided and friendships getting divided and and everything is ripe for that kind of division. So, so how do we continue to be people of peace together in the midst of our differences? Uh, I think, Peter, the calling for us is to carry out as kingdom dwellers the, the two greatest commandments, to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, especially when that neighbor is different than us. Certainly, if we to do that with our neighbor, how much more are we to do that with even members of our own family? Uh, the issue is, if I love God with everything, it has to be demonstrated in how I love my neighbor as myself, even when that neighbor is different than I am. And I think uh, at the table, even uh, uh, doing uh, the difficulties uh of, of the COVID social distancing, uh, we need to take opportunities uh, to reach out uh, across lines uh, to establish and to uh, strengthen our relationships that make that really make makes a difference. Now, I got a daughter who is a, a millennial, and I've all I've called her really a, a, a strong black woman because uh, that's how she is. She loves the Lord, and uh, she really. Uh, was following uh, uh, the liberal dynamics. And of course, I'm conservative. And when we talked about it about six months ago, 
our conversation really got toxic because of what we see in this dynamic that's going on. But yet, every so often, it will come up because we're working together, man. She's my vice president in the ministry, and we and we love each other in spite of it. And so, when we differ, she said, "Dad, yeah, I differ with you, but I love you anyway." Well, uh, she knew what I was thinking, and she saw a documentary called uh, Uncle Tom, and Uncle Tom is all about conservative black Christians, and it's an hour and 40 minutes, but it's powerful because it's all of the truth. And so my birthday was Friday, uh, a week before last, and she said, I got a present for you. She sat down, she let me watch all of that. When all when it all was said and done, she said, Dad, now I understand really what you've been saying. And she asked me a question. She said, this is different. Dad, how can I vote for somebody who I think is racially insensitive? How can I vote for somebody when I think he's misogynistic? How can I do something? I said, I said, uh, uh, darling, evaluate actions rather than character and words, and action really is the measure of a person and the measure of a man, and look at those dynamics. Well, yesterday she came home with a tag on, and she called me, and she said, Dad, I voted, you know, and I said, uh, did you go conservative, or did you go, uh, uh, you know, I know which way. She says, Dad, uh, you know, you're 82 years old, <laughs> and I think you're out of touch. But you have great wisdom, and you've touched me deeply, and I've listened to you, and you were dead right, Dad. And I am conservative like you are, and that's the way I voted. And uh, it just blessed me to no end. Uh, the issue is we had differences, but we did it peacefully. We loved each other uh, despite the fact that we had differences. And in the end result, we ended up the same place because we influenced one another in a peaceful fashion. That's what needs to happen at the table. That's what needs to happen with families. That's what needs to happen in our government uh, between uh, Democrats and, Re and Republicans is so toxic. We need to have genuine relationships. And those who are believers uh, who are in government need to influence those who are not and really demonstrate and live out peace in a way that we will not see what we what. Peter, you were expecting, if that happens, we will not see that kind of dynamic, but we'll see a peaceful conclusion. Raleigh, we have just a couple of minutes left. That's a powerful story uh, that you referenced with your daughter. And it, it um, reminds me to, to think that one of the many expressions of love is the idea that when you look at another human being, it's pretty likely that they are not entirely wrong about all they think. And uh, it's equally likely that you are not entirely right about all you think. And so that that move of humility, that starting point of humility that says, all right, I'm actually going to listen to this other person in that space, that really can set the foundation for a peaceful conversation. And sometimes you may end up moving their direction and sometimes they might moving, uh, end up moving your direction. But either way, you are, are taking their own interest as much as you're taking uh, your own in uh, their interest into the situation. There's no question about it. I think the answer to it, and I wrote it in my book, Breaking Down the Walls, A Model of Reconciliation in an Age of Racial Strife, uh, and I outline eight biblical principles of relationship that will initiate, sustain, and reconcile in and all, all relationships. Here's what I wrote uh, briefly, these couple of sentences in the foreword. In 1993, I wrote it to show you how relevant it is now. I said this. If the recent Los Angeles riots, and that was with Rodney King, taught us anything, it is that we have been traveling in circles. Riots, 
fermenting in the hotbed of racial inequality and poverty, lie dormant only to rise again, each time more vile and destructive. When, when George Floyd happened, uh, it said in 93, what we wrote was really prophetic. So what's the answer to that? The answer to that is that we need to have relationships and racial reconciliation, but especially across racial lines intentionally. We have to love our racially different neighbor as ourselves. And if we are African-Americans, we have to love the men in blue like ourselves. When they make a mistake, let's deal with the mistake, but not create the riots and vitriol that takes place. Why? Because we are kingdom dwellers. Mm. Raleigh, I appreciate your time and your wisdom. We could talk with you for hours about all this stuff this morning. And I have to say that depending on the outcome of the election, if it does get really hot and contested and stuff, uh, and we don't know the end game in this, I might just uh, drive down to Florida and you and I can uh, play some Play-Doh together with your granddaughter. <laughs> and after that, we'll go out and play 18 holes, Peter. <laughs> I think that sounds like an outstanding plan. Thanks again for your wisdom this morning, Raleigh. really appreciate it. Okay, love you. And yeah. my regards to your parents. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Love you too, Raleigh. We'll take a short break here and uh, for some bottom of the hour news coming up. And when we come back for the second half of this hour, we'll be joined by regular contributor Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. And Adam has some pretty interesting prognostications from the 2016 election. So we're going to have to revisit that and uh, find out about his credibility, about what he thinks is going to happen tomorrow. Oh, that's great music there, uh, Paul Perot. And as if uh, <laughs> as if a global pandemic is not enough, as if a, a hotly contested election is not enough, uh, not, we have these things going on in, in our world. We also see that an asteroid is going to, quote, buzz cut the Earth uh, sometime here today. Astrophysicist Neil Tyson says it's nothing to worry about. It's just a six-foot-five rock about the size of a refrigerator. It has about a half a percent chance of entering our atmosphere. I, you know, if it's entering the atmosphere around me, I would be worried about a six foot five inch chunk of rock. Well, it is going to burn up, but otherwise, as I've been calling it, you know, there was people talking about the sweet meteor of uh, destruction or something. Nah, this is just a mild meteor of inconvenience. I wouldn't mind seeing it shooting across the sky. I got to admit, I'm a a little bit, uh, you know, I I really am am intrigued by all of these sort of uh, astronomical events when they come by. So I would love to see this thing come streaking across the sky. I'm sure there'd be many among us that would interpret it as another sign of the apocalypse, however. Uh, Oh, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, we're not going (laughs) to. It is certainly on a lot of people's minds, and understandably so. We do have a lot going on in our world today that uh, is very difficult to maybe process at times. And so I just want to read one more time here this morning what we started out with uh, to remind ourselves that we're part of a kingdom that has stability associated with it, regardless of the circumstances around us. And so here we go again with First Peter 2, verse 9, reminding us that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession, declaring the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And certainly Adam Carrington is one who walks in the light of God's kingdom and looking forward to talking with him next about the election coming up here on Mornings with Carmen. Often you look at a teenage girl wearing a skimpy outfit and you think she's trying to attract undesirable attention. But in her mind, she's thinking something totally different. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. In talking with young girls, I found more often than not, she wasn't thinking about dressing provocatively. She wanted to fit in. Our culture is obsessed with the sensual, and media influences have pressured girls to dress more seductively than ever. 
So the next time your daughter shows up ready for school wearing clothes that raise eyebrows, don't jump to conclusions. Explain why you're uncomfortable with her choice. Try to understand your teen's world and the pressures on her. Help her choose some cool alternative fashions that don't compromise her innocence. Want to bring Mark to your church or community? Find out how to request an event in your area when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org. Good mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning on the 2nd of November. And that music means that we are being joined by regular contributor Adam Carrington, who is from Hillsdale College, but is currently, my understanding, Adam, you are at Princeton on a sabbatical at this point. I am. I'm at the James Madison program that is housed here on campus and working on some projects and uh, taking my time doing that. And I love it. Well, there's lots for uh, to cover, obviously, in a morning like this morning, waiting the election tomorrow. But before we get into that, Adam, I want you to remind us from about four years ago, I think on this very program, some of your um, your very spot on prognostications of the election in 2016, because you crushed it, if I remember rightly. Yes, yes. This is this is. Uh, I, I'm glad that actually I asked, and the and the tapes are destroyed or is aren't around. Maybe someone I know. Yeah, did the that. files were gone. It, I couldn't yeah, find. Somehow it. they've Sorry. been shredded, you know, digitally or something. So yeah, so, it, so remind it, us again. Yes, that's like her emails, right, from four years right. ago. Yeah, we have the, an Adam the, Carrington uh, server, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I did say uh, I, I did say that I thought that Clinton would pull out what I thought was going to be a very narrow victory. I thought it would be close, but I did think that she would pull it out and uh, definitely was wrong on that. So take what I say this this in any time going forward with <laughs> that grain of salt. I, I did not get the outcome. I did not get the actual outcome of who won right the last time. So mm, I love it. Uh, well, uh, I, my best map, by the way, I, I trade maps for fun the way other people do, you know, brackets for, for the NCAA tournament. My best was 2008. I got 49 out of 50 states. I did not get that in 2016. So, um, so you for do, what it's worth. Yeah, and do, well, you do have a good history then, obviously. And, and I know that you're a keen observer of politics and culture. And, and uh, we're going to be sitting tomorrow, I'm sure, many people, uh, it, when, when the results start rolling in from the East Coast and, and then moving towards the West Coast, are going to be watching. So, Adam, help me just understand what I'm watching tomorrow night, what I can expect, how to stay sane during some of this as I grab my bag of popcorn and kind of settle in for the night. Uh, what, what would be some ways to observe these things in, in, in a way that's going to keep my heart at least from just completely roiling at what I watch? Well, I think first is how to watch what's coming in. And I think that people are going to to need to be patient as far as the numbers coming in, because we've had the most absentee and early votes in our history. I checked just a few minutes ago, and the latest update is 96.5 million early votes out of, they're expecting around 155 to 160 million total. And the thing about those votes is twofold. There's a huge partisan divide. Democrats are predominantly voting early, although not entirely, and Republicans are predominantly voting the day of. And so that matters because some states, and it varies every different state, report early or day of differently. Some wait till they have all of them and report them from a particular precinct or county. Some report 
Uh, for example, Arizona reports their early first. Pennsylvania typically, I think they might be adjusting this, typically uh, puts their day of out first. And why that matters is if you only see a part of the vote coming out, you may get a skewed view of where the election's going. And there may be people that try to make unnecessary uh, accusations or other things based on that. So the thing to ask is when votes are coming out, where are they coming from? Is it the entire vote of that area or is there a uh, day of or, or absentee that needs to be be listened to and and just be patient with those results? Wait for those to come in. I think that's going to be more the case than there's been in the past. So that's going to be one thing. Be uh, and, and also, I would just say, be patient in the sense of making sure that we're recognizing that the, while this is a very contentious election, I've said this a number of times before on the program, we're, we're talking about other human beings, uh, we're talking about other fellow citizens. So as we're playing out very, very intense and partisan divides, I would say, you know, be be gracious to other people, especially on social media, especially people that, ha you know, this might be their first election. Uh, so those would be some of the things I would say, but, but be particularly mindful of how much of the votes come in, where it's come in from. Uh, you, you know, I, I remember uh, in 2004, President uh, George W. Bush originally was down by about 40 points in Pennsylvania, ended up losing it by two. Why? All the votes from Philadelphia that's more Democratic had come in. So be wary of those kind of things as, as you're watching the election returns, I think would be the number one thing. Yeah. Am I correct in reading, Adam, that the Philadelphia mayor actually came out recently and thought it might take days and days until they're able to count all of the results in, in Pennsylvania, which is widely considered to be maybe the key state that's going to tip the election either way, depending on, you know, whether if, unless there's a, a vote out there that we don't quite understand yet. Right. Uh, Pennsylvania has been called what many people say is the tipping point state, which means it's the state that's going to be the closest to the one that gives one candidate or the other the electoral votes they need to win. And the reason that's the case is Pennsylvania used to have very, very few absentee votes. They were very strict on it, very few of them, and therefore they're used to counting day of, but not a lot of absentee. Now they're going to have a avalanche of them, and absentee ballots especially take longer because if for I'm sure many listeners have done theirs. I had to do mine since I'm out of state. You have to sign your your ballot or sign the the mail that you're sending your ballot in with your name. They have to do things to double check are is your signature similar to the one on file, and therefore to keep down on voter fraud. So. It takes longer first to verify absentee ballots and then to count them. So that's why they're saying it could take several days. And that's why I, I want to say before, there's going to be a lot of accusations of voter fraud. And I'm not saying that there couldn't be or that there never is. But the first thing we should ask are, is it taking longer because of absentee ballots? Is it taking longer because of some other issue? Let's let's be careful not to accuse other people of voter fraud until we have good concrete evidence both ways. There's been that's been lobbed in both directions. So Pennsylvania is one. Arizona is another one that's supposed to be close. They tend to count and report all of their absentee ballots first, and I promise you, Joe Biden will be ahead at that point. But 
it doesn't mean Joe Biden's going to win because the day of are going to be very strong for the president and it's a very close state. So again, both sides, I think, need to, 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 to be careful when they make that accusation, but also to be vigilant to make sure we're counting all the votes correctly. Mm. That's the voice of Adam Carrington. Adam, we've got a lot to cover yet this morning. Uh, we'll take a short time away, and when we come back, I'm going to ask you about some of the key Senate races as well, because as important as the presidency is, and it is very important, obviously the control of the Senate has proven to be a, a really important piece of the political puzzle in our country. And I want to ask you, too, uh, from the perspective of history, uh, as a person who is a political historian, are there other times in our country where we've seen this kind of level of contentiousness, because sometimes that perspective can help inform the present that maybe things aren't quite as extreme as we might think. So more coming up next here with Adam Carrington on Mornings with Carmen. about 13 minutes for the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge, and we're talking with Adam Carrington about the election that will happen. Obviously, it's been happening, and it'll happen in earnest in person tomorrow as well as probably for the rest of the week. But, Adam, there's more than the presidency at stake here. The control of the Senate is also at stake. So tell us a little bit about what to watch here. Right. And obviously, this matters a lot, as we've seen over the last two years, that when there's divided government, not a lot gets done. And that can be both good, either good or bad, depending upon which side you're on. And so the House is almost assuredly going to be Democrat this next time. Uh, There's some claims the other way. I don't really see that. So the real question is going to be beyond the presidency, the Senate. Right now, Republicans have a 53-47 majority. And it looks like the Democrats are almost sure to gain seats. The question is, are they going to get to 50 or 51 to therefore have a chance to control the chamber? And I think it's basically a toss up. And the big Senate races to watch that seem most like they're going to be close, I think, um, uh, are going to be places like Iowa where uh, Senator Ernst is is up for re-election for the first time. I think that's a coin flip. I think Maine is going to be another really important one where I, I tend to think Susan Collins, the Republican, is going to lose. Uh, Colorado, I think, is going to switch to Democrat. I think Alabama, if people remember the weird circumstances of their special election, I think that's going to flip back to Republican, uh, very confident. So I think it's really going to come down to a place like North Carolina, which obviously has some really particular weird circumstances where there was a a revelation that the Democrat nominee who seemed well ahead had engaged in a kind of uh, texting affair with a woman, not his wife. That is so so that I think I think really in the end that in Georgia, where you have actually both Senate seats up is going to be the, the the place where that matters. And that's going to be very important, too, because I think whoever's now the next president is going to get at least one, if not two more Supreme Court nominations as well. And obviously the Senate is the vehicle that approves or disapproves of that. So I, those, those are the big places to watch, I'd say, especially Iowa, Maine and North Carolina. Those, are, I think, are going to be the real big ones that, that decide which way the Senate is going to be next time, regardless of who's the president. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see and, and a lot of contention in those Senate races as well. And speaking of contention, then, Adam, 
as a student of history and, and seeing what's happened in our country over these years, it's understandable perhaps here in 2020 that we feel like, boy, this is the worst it has ever been in our country. We've never seen this level of contentiousness. It's, uh, I think, I, I certainly have seen a spike among believers who are interested in trying to study end times things and apocalyptic events and, and sort of reading the tea leaves in that way. But, but looking back through history, this is not the first time we've had a pretty significant level of, of rancor in our country. No, and I would point to three very quick instances: one, two hopeful, one not hopeful. Uh, in the in in the election of eighteen hundred, it was the first peaceful transfer of power we had between parties: the Federalist Party that no longer exists and the Democratic Republican Party. And that was extremely contentious. Go, I, I would encourage listeners if they have a good, a strong stomach, look up some of the insults that were hurled and some of the accusations that were made against Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, the two very respected American founders. And we got past it. There was a peaceful transfer of power, although it was iffy at times, and we, we got through it and set a great precedent. Another good precedent, or another, maybe I should get to the, the, the difficult one, would be 1860. That was the one time where we have had rancor over the power of the national versus the state governments, the role of slavery in relation to that, where we actually were not able to settle our differences. But that's really the only exception. The other one I'd mention is the late 1960s. We, we've seen an uptick in political violence lately, people acting violently for political reasons. And... That is not a good thing. It's not a good sign. But people sometimes tend to forget that the rioting, the politically based violence in the late 60s and early 70s was, at least as far as raw numbers, much higher than it is right now. And we were able to get through that. So the thing I would encourage people is actually something from Lincoln when he was trying to prevent the Civil War from starting uh, in, in 1861, he compared that there's two ways we can make decisions as people. Uh, one is by bullets, and a lot of human history has been decided that way, killing each other, and the strongest gets to, to declare what they think is right and wrong and gets to force it on the other. But the other option is ballots, voting. And he implored the that we should settle these things by ballots because that is the peaceful way that is the way that most recognizes the rights of each other and the humanity of each other and i hope that and 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 still do believe that in the main that's what enough americans believe that we can get through a very contentious time here as we have most of the time in the past with that one terrible exception Adam, is it fair to say that uh, maybe if we took some time just reflecting on our own capacity to maybe inflict harm on another person, and I don't just mean physical harm, I mean sort of a violence of the spirit or, or the divisiveness that we might carry or the anger that we might carry towards the other side, that instead of always seeking to take the log out of somebody else's eye, if we, if we took just a moment of self-reflection that maybe in that we could uh, maybe see a, a, at least a reduction in some of the tension that we have here. I think re recognizing the total depravity of man, <laughs> the <laughs> fact that we are all born sinful, I think would be a good thing. And it's not only a good thing in the sense of taking the log out of our own eye, although I think that's very important. It's also seeing that if we're all fallible, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have unclear 
concepts of what's just and unjust. And that doesn't, by the way, deny that there isn't justice and that doesn't deny that we must pursue it strongly. We must declare it rightly. But I think it also means that we should cut others slack in addition to ourselves as far as that goes. And and again, I don't want to downplay. I know there's many listeners who are feel very strongly about this election. And I don't think that's wrong in and of itself. I don't think it's wrong to believe that you honestly have a, a, a concept of what's right and just that would be better for the life of America, for the life of the church, if, if your side won. That said, I think keeping those things in mind is uh, a, a very important and humble thing, and something I've said before, remembering that the—and this was said from the pulpit at the church I was going to—I uh, went to yesterday—that God is still in control, God mm. is still on his throne, and we can rest and rely on that even if we—even uh, uh, if we, you know, don't get the election result we want, or even if we do, remembering not to put our trust too much in princes. Mm. Adam, we've got about 30 seconds left. So before we run, we got to get you on the record here in 2020, and we're going to for sure not destroy the tapes this time. So we're going to wake up uh, maybe Wednesday morning or, or sometime next week. Who's the president for the next four years? Uh, and you can really roast me for this. They were nicer last time. I, I, I would be more surprised this time than last time if if President Trump gets reelected. I, I, I just I don't quite see the numbers there. Anything could happen. I really do believe that. But I, I do think that uh, uh, Joe Biden will probably come out based on what I've seen. Mm. Uh, not saying what's the best option, just saying I think that would be my guess based on what I've, I've seen. And I would be a little more surprised this time, as I said, than last time. I thought Clinton would win, but I, I wasn't deeply surprised that she didn't. I thought it was razor thin. It doesn't look as close to me this time. We'll see. Mm, I love it, Adam. Thanks for your wisdom and perspective on all things politics and just the contributions you make to the show. Have a great rest of the day. You all as well. Thank you. We'll come back and wrap up the first hour of the show and preview what's coming up in hour two here on Mornings with Carmen. Well, Paul, a lot of uh, good wisdom there in hour one of the show and, yep. and what is obviously such contentiousness that we have as a country. I know it's stuff that you talk about often on Mornings with Carmen, too, and how we can be people of peace, people of the kingdom in the midst of all this. And to have Raleigh Washington on with just the perspective that he shares and all of the places he's walked uh, as in his 82 years on this planet. And, of course, Adam is always a, both a great joy to have on the program, mm-hmm. but he brings such a, a wealth of wisdom and perspective. I don't know anybody like him. I, I don't, and I'm so glad to have him. Actually, one conversation I want to point people back to on the podcast, which you can find at my faithradio.com. We talked to Matt Hawkins on Friday in the first hour talking about the necessity. I mean, we we talk about political positions, which are important, but we have a call to be peacemakers as well. And that's something, this is something only the church can really lead in if we, if it's something we should do. Yeah, it really is a time when we're in the midst of this, this again, level of rancor between us that the Christians really do have an opportunity to shine light in a different kind of way. And in an hour or two, we'll have just those kinds of people joining us as well. And uh, Dr. Daryl Bach on his book, Cultural Intelligence, that he just released. It should be a great interview with him. We've got some copies of that book to give away as well, so stay tuned for that. And then, of course, David Aikman will be joining us in the last part of the show from just giving us perspective on some of the other global headlines of the day. And we do have a very special guest at the top of the 7 o'clock Central Hour here coming up, so stay tuned on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. 
That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.